Well, welcome, friends, to Halfway There. This is the show where we have honest conversations with ordinary Christians about today's Christian experience. I am super excited to bring to you this episode today. My name is Eric Nevins. I'm your host. Just get that in there. And uh, I've been really blessed to start making connections with other podcasters, people who, um, you know, have a similar or an, a vision. They have a message, something that they want to get out, something, some kind of change they want to affect in the world. And podcasting is a great medium to do that. You know, I believe that. Um, but it's great when you connect with somebody who also believes it. And so today my guest is someone who, uh, I think believes that too. And I just know that we're going to have a great conversation. We're going to hear his story a little bit. Um, he is the host of the come to the table podcast. And if you're not listening to this, this is one that you should listen to. I'll throw some links, uh, to episodes that I think are amazing in the show notes at halfwaytherepodcast.com. So you can check that out. But for now, it is a real pleasure to just introduce to you guys my podcasting friend, Sean McCoy. Welcome to Halfway There, Sean. Thank you, brother. It's, it's my honor and pleasure to be here. <laughs> well, it, I am really excited just to connect with you. It, it's been fun. And I think uh, we, we did an episode for your show not too long ago, or it'll be out there shortly. And uh, yes, I can't wait for that to come out. But I think just the you and I have think a lot on the same wavelength, so I can't really wait to kind of just have this conversation and just share it with our friends here. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about you and kind of what you're doing? And then um, we'll, we'll get into the podcast. Tell, tell us a little bit about it, but uh, then we'll go back and we'll hear your story. Sure. Uh, like I said, it's really a pleasure to be here. I love what you're doing. Definitely. You're going to hear a lot of this. I'm sure throughout the podcast that we both admire what the other one's trying to do, especially in the space you're trying to do it in within our faith. And using this wonderful medium through podcasting that allows us to put a voice out there that goes beyond just the people that we know and allows us to impact other people through our own experiences and others and having these conversations. So, so obviously, thank you for being a part of that. I'm glad to be here. And, and a little bit about me. I was born and raised in Houston, Texas. And then other than my six years in the military, I've lived here my whole life. So I'm a very proud Texan, even though I do have some Iowan roots, <laughs> as we were talking about before, my mother Grew up in Iowa. I still got a grandmother and some family out there. I've been to Iowa. It's a wonderful state. And I mean, I know you're not there now, but I know that it's <laughs> kind of like anywhere else. Where you're from never quite leaves you. That's right. No matter how far you go, right? Th that so, has got to be so. why I like you. Yeah, exactly. You know, but, it, but then it plays into the whole idea in the end that, you know, despite the differences and the lines and the sand, if you will, that, you know, you, you come to find out that we're all part of one big family in this world. And, and it's just, it's, it's all in the mid greater bar, my, you know, the community that we're in and whether it's a podcasting community or our faith or just our country, there's just, there's just such a power in that community. And then, and then learning from each other and going through that. And so I, I grew up, I would say that it was uh, dysfunctional at best. I didn't have uh, a childhood that I would necessarily wish upon anybody. Yeah. I don't, uh, I don't want to say anything disparaging per se, a lot of, a lot of alcohol abuse, some other things around that still still happens in my family, just a lot of dysfunction. But looking back at it now, I think the biggest issue was just a lack of of what I consider a strong family structure. That that I look at it now and, and look at, especially look at my faith and say, you know, you can get through tough times, you can get through difficult issues when you have a solid structure and a core to keep you grounded, especially around people. You know, there's I, there's something that's been big on my heart from a faith standpoint lately 
is you know, this idea that you hear this every once in a while is one of these big myths that God only gives you what you can handle. And, uh-huh. I, and I, I'm especially lately have become very enamored with this idea that God actually gives you much more than you can handle so that you not only need other people, but that you need him in your life. And, and to that, I did not grow up in a, in a faith-based household, actually quite the opposite. My father is an atheist. He's extremely intelligent. And we grew up in an area where, where religion was not looked at, especially Christianity in any organized religion was not looked at as something that was positive. And so, you know, trying to get through this as quickly as possible without giving the whole thing. So I yeah. went through life, graduated, got into the military, got into my own as far as life goes, have uh, been married and divorced, have made a lot of mistakes in my life, and then became a Christian when I was 32 years old through basically an opportunity, uh, which sounds kind of goofy to say opportunity, but well, through a series of events that required me to seriously look at what I was doing with my life and question what I considered my own kind of self-created belief system and how it had, for lack of a better word, and how logic and science and all this other stuff had more or less failed or had come up short. Not, and I can get into that in a little bit, but all that said, became a Christian. And then to get to the podcast idea, you know, become very enamored with my faith, become very, uh, just very, cha- love loved the challenge, love the, the journey, the walk the constant evolution, the constant mm-hmm. development, the, the challenges that are put forth by, by being part of the, of the gospel and being part of the body. And then in lieu of that, especially come around, started probably in 2000, especially looking at things around political differences and the way thing, and the way people were different, that I, at the same time, have been very well-traveled. I've been very fortunate to travel many places in the world, uh, almost 30 countries, pretty much almost every continent except a couple. The the different people that I've experienced in my life and the different ways of thinking and the different beliefs, they're out there. And, but at the same time you learn from these people and you can interact with them and you understand that, you know, that being different doesn't mean that you're wrong. I can remember having a conversation mm-hmm. with a guy around the death penalty years ago and during a business meeting up in Canada. And I just remember him vividly looking at me and saying, I just don't believe in the death penalty. I just, I just don't believe it. And for whatever reason, it was one of those conversations that stuck with me and it made me realize because I was a bit of a naive young person, a little less naive, a little, little, <laughs> a little younger than I am now, obviously, but <laughs> that it that it's around, you know, that sometimes people just sometimes think differently. You know, and I, you know, I, I don't even remember why, but I was a huge proponent. Or I thought, oh, the death penalty. I'm from Texas. It's just what we do. Sure. So to keep crime from happening. But it really made me say to myself, sometimes people just don't think like you do, and that on some level has to be okay. And so I saw not only these differences not being accepted, but then becoming divisive. And I'm just a big believer around unity and, and, the, and the coming together as a community and as people, despite our differences. And so that well, plant, that seed starts to plant in 2000 and then it gets into 2016. And I just felt compelled to create a podcast that allowed us to have to force conversations to get people to really question uh, why they were thinking something. And, and that sometimes if you just listen to what somebody else has to say, you could possibly learn something. So, right. Right. Okay. I want to talk about all of that, but let's go back to to the beginning because you mentioned your yeah. your home life. You grew up. You you came to Christ later in life. You said thirty two years old. So mm-hmm. that I think just by itself. I've I talked to a lot of people who come to Christ. You know, they they were grew up in Christian homes, which is great. Tell tell us a little bit about that. You you kind of started to allude to that. You don't have to go into the all the details, but just tell us a little bit about what your life was like pre Christ. Sure. So I would say that 
I, I was definitely never one. I was never an atheist. I could never say that I was an atheist. I think agnostic maybe would be the best way to look at it. I, I think I was a little bit enamored with the idea of being smart and being educated. I tended to understand things a lot, you know, pretty well and consider myself well-read and would study things and would constantly try to learn. It was a big history buff, science, technology, constantly trying to program myself and started to use that logic reason mindset when I was younger and just, and just kind of depended upon that as my, most of my guide that I could kind of decide what was right. And I had a pretty high independent moral standard. I was not the kind of kid that went off and got drunk all the time. I didn't do drugs. I was actually a square for all intents and purposes for the most part and was known that way in a lot of circles. So I had a pretty high moral standard already just because it seemed it just came naturally to me. It doesn't mean I wasn't didn't do immoral things. It just meant that I was I had a very high conviction around right and wrong. And then and then unfortunately a lot of people around faith, especially the Christian faith that I grew up around, were not the best examples to to lead me that way. And so in terms of in terms of somebody kind of showing you the way that it should be done, the people that I knew, because you know when you get to know them, when you see them for who they are and what they are all the time, not just on Sunday, you start to see this the, hip, the hypocrisy not only on a, on a local level with people you know, mm, yeah. but of course I grew up in the time period of the Jimmy Bakers and the Jerry Falwells, and, and you just start to see the inconsistencies. And I was a history buff, and you start to read things, and you start to see things, and you and you and I didn't have a skew. And although I would say that, you know, a lot of times people that aren't fans of, of certain organized religions do a very good job of pointing out inconsistencies and then just a normal, hey, there's a guy named Methuselah, he's 900 something years old. <laughs> OK, well, that can't happen. And right. Jesus is walking on water. OK, tell me another fairy tale that you that you want me to believe in. Oh, and then you want me to believe in it and be like you. And you're not necessarily the person that I want to emulate. Yep. I don't see from I don't see in your life anything that I really want to copy. And then you're telling me that I'm a bad person, you know, which which happened here and there, not overtly. It wasn't terrible. But, you know, I can remember being cornered in junior high in the gym and being asked why I wasn't a Christian and kind of, you know, it. and you had to kind of center go, I just don't believe in it. And people aren't really impressed with you. And so. So you allow those things to impact you and then you start to think you're smart. You're told you're smart. You see that you're smart. And I became very logic-based and reasoned and, and that kind of thing. And so as I got through my, my early 20s and got off into the military and started experiencing more life and different cultures and different people, it just kind of reemphasized that idea of, well, who has the right to say what's true? Who has the right? Everybody's got inconsistencies. There's problems here. And then I, I was married uh, and, and ended up getting a divorce. And what was happening was I had always – I grew up with not a lot. In terms of economics, and, and I would see people that had a lot and started to believe, well, that's if I get educated, if I buy, if I have stuff I don't have now, it'll fill this hole in me. Because at the same time, there was a massive hole, and yeah. there was a massive, there was some, there was a gap inside of me that just wasn't being filled in the in the environment I grew up in. How, how did then, you how did you explain ahead. that? How did you explain that or, or think about it at that time? I, 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 other than just being being accepted and being wanted, being loved, I, I could honestly, in that sense, just could you just love me for who I am? Could I just be accepted for what I am and what I'm and and forgive me for what I'm not in terms of whatever expectation that society has? Yeah, I think you get you get, you know, the people that were popular, the people that were almost looked at in in, in a high level of, of expectancy or just high level of value. 
were people that seemed to have a lot of material things and had done some sort of successful stuff. And I just wanted to be accepted for who I was uh, just in general. And, and you just, and I just didn't, I had a few friends, some, you know, some friends, there's some people that I know that I didn't have a, you know, a lot of people that I know that would say, oh, it was good, but there's a lot of, there was not a lot of deep connection around uh, from that emotional side. So it was a very, it was very much being alone. Yeah. Even though you knew a lot, if you've ever been, if you've ever known a lot of people and connected with a lot of people, it very much felt alone because my, my mindset was a lot different in terms of how far it progressed because I was forced in a sense as a kid to be much more of an adult. I never really had a chance to be a child. I was dealing with having to drive your mother and when she's too drunk to do anything, you know, just at 13 and 14 years old and, and just being asked to do things from a maturity standpoint as a young person, because there was a, it was, a, it was a terrible dichotomy. One was the, well, here's this kid who's pretty competent and seems to have it together but you're only 13 or 14 years old. And, and so then there's this, and it's yeah. exacerbated by a situation where the adults aren't necessarily the most competent. Yeah. And so you have this, so that you fill this gap as best you can. And so it's a false positive in terms of, well, he's, he's good. He's got it. He can, you know, he's, he's doing things far beyond his pay grade, so to speak. But in the end, you're, 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 you're drowning in that, in that sense of, of you don't even realize it, that you're not competent at it. Right, and you, it becomes very lonely and very unfulfilling, and then, well, there's you know, there's, a, there's anger, stuff like that, frustration. Those things kind of start to bubble up, and that sure. kind of thing. Well, there's a difference between being able to do things and being able to emotionally handle things. Oh, right. Yeah. Sounds like oh, that I mean, disconnect. Yeah, exa- exactly, exactly. And then you don't, and you're too young and too naive, and there's not enough people that you can confide in. I mean, I was, uh, you know, I, I was suicidal as a teenager. I had a lot of, because I didn't understand a lot of the inconsistencies. I didn't understand a lot of the things. I didn't understand a lot of the emotions that were going through my mind. I didn't understand a lot of those. I, I didn't, so I would cope on the external, then, but on the internal, there was this massive struggle around the environment that you grew up in. And yeah. you just, and there was no, you just felt hopeless. And really, I think to your point, you're asking this is a long way to get to it. But when you feel like there's no hope, I mean, that is a, if you've ever been in that position, where that's where it's crossed your mind, where you just feel hopeless. That is a darkness and a pit of, of sorrow. This is almost impossible to quantify. It really is. You know what it feels like. It's debilitating and it can take you down a path that is just, it, it is, it, it leads down that path of, of, of the opposite of where the gospel is, where there's just, there's literally no hope for you. And so it, it can just really take over and yeah. and really be a, a detriment to your, your mindset. How did that play out? Think, How did that play uh, out in your life? Well, you know, it was, it was this really uh, unfortunate dichotomy where on the exter- externally people thought oh, he's got it together, but internally you're, you're wrestling all the time yeah. and you're just, it is this constant, it is this constant enigma between the external where you, everything thinks you have it together. Everything's that you're, and you're, you're competent and you're able to do things and that kind of, it's almost like a functioning alcoholic where, but in the end you have this, there's this whole, like you just don't understand you're, you're confused. Uh, but you grin and bear it and grit it out and, and necessarily don't necessarily complain or make it a big deal. And you just, you keep trying to fight your way out of that pit is really what it is without telling anybody that you're actually doing it. And it's, it's the lie that we're told. That either you can't ask for help or that nobody cares or that there isn't another way or there isn't something else to help bring you out of that. That's the lie that you're told. 
and you're given that impression or you're given the impression that some sort of other success will bring you out of that. This is what's going to bring you happiness. This is what's going to bring you joy right. is by doing these things in this superficial worldly way. And if you have no faith to speak of, well, then that's your, that's your idol, right? That's the, you're like, well, that, what else do you have to believe in other than well, if I can just understand, if I can just learn more, if I can succeed more, if I can do more, it'll start to bring me out of this pit of despair. And then that culminated in here I am in, in a neighborhood of, of where I grew up in that I never thought I could ever afford to live in. And I have a house there, built a house. I have all these things material-wise. I have a marriage, uh, but not a relationship. I have a house, but not a home. And I can remember, and then all of a sudden, you have these things that are supposed to fill that gap, and they don't. And they simply just don't do it. Because I've just, especially now, more than ever in my life, they're just, they're not going to do that for you. That house is a nice place to live. It provides comfort. It provides a place to lay your head, raise your kids, to be safe, all those kinds of things. But the house itself is not going to do it for you. It's it's just not. Right. And and then, But unless you have something else to even grind against, that's kind of your only hope is in that world. And so when I realized, uh, when I got divorced, at the same time, there was this little voice in my head, because <clears throat> there was people that approached me about my faith or lack thereof over the years, and I had a standard canned answer, and, oh, here we go with this person. And they were typically, when people would typically evangelize, it was always kind of confrontational. It was not, it was never relational. It was, ne- and, that, and I think that's the big missing piece in, in terms of how you and how we are called to, to be and interact with people, oh, yeah. no matter where they are in their walk, is it, it becomes systemic. Like, okay, well, Hey Eric, you know where, what do you believe in, and where's your what is your viewpoint on this? And let's go down let's go down the list, and then let me tell you what what you think is different and how I can help you improve on your thought process. Because here's this thing about this is wrong. That I just haven't seen that bear a lot of fruit, honestly. And yeah, so well, well that's interesting because right. I, I mean not to disparage a whole state, but you know you you're in the Bible Belt, right? So mm-hmm. you know that that's kind of how we see them see Christians in the South portrayed anyway as, Hey, you need to come to the right belief, the right, right. understanding. And it sounds like that was your experience. Yeah. And it's so funny that you said that because I was reading an article today uh, that was talking about that very issue that even from a political standpoint, that there's a really big concern that the quote unquote evangelicals and the religious right are becoming almost cultish in a negative way towards president Trump and towards politics and are giving up, the morality of their faith to pursue a political a, a political standpoint or a political belief. And I will tell you, and, and this is something I would love, maybe this is a great time to have, and I'd love to hear what your viewpoint is of it. I, I never consider myself an evangelical Christian. I just consider myself a Christian. I don't even mm. know what that means. I was on another podcast uh, to tell me who you are with Alex Stein, and he was talking about that. And I I don't remember ever signing up as an evangelical Christian. I don't remember. I don't, there's no meetings that I know about. There's no requirement. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't agree to that. Yeah. And, I don't, and they don't represent. I really don't believe they represent me for sure. And I definitely don't want to speak for anybody else. But in terms of how I see things, in terms of how I see the gospel and what I'm reading and what I want and how I pursue my faith, I I, I don't I don't see that at all. And and it becomes a bit. And, I, and again, I don't want to become, I don't want to create a conflict and I don't want to come and tell people who, what's right or wrong, but I definitely don't, because then what happens is we get lumped into that. We, yeah. Somebody does, you know, people, people support Roy Moore for, you know, for, for Congress when he was running 
and everybody's and then it comes out these guys are defending what he's doing and some of his actions or whatever and then the general public associates that with christianity as a whole and so we all get wrapped up in this big bundle because of one group of people's decision around something right and then we see that we see that throughout history we see that throughout other faiths of that nature and so kind of back to the podcast idea was okay well i want to i want to have another voice out there it's why i love what you're doing it's why i love what phil's doing it's, and i love it yeah. too because because you're not doing the Joyce Meyer, Joel Osteen thing, which is fine, but you're not preaching, yep. right? Yep. You're your whole. You're you're just let's have honest conversation. And that's what I loved about. I remember I first listening to your show. I was like, exactly. And then you listen to the guests, and you find out, man, it just crumbles. This image of what it's supposed to be just crumbles. But in the midst of all this chaos and turmoil and ugliness, is this beautiful redemption, reconciliation. Out of out of the despair of all this comes this opportunity for hope, and that's a little bit of what I—not a little bit—but this is what I experienced relative to. I had this kind of crisis of existence because I didn't have a faith at the time. Yeah. Of what in the world am I doing? Because I looked at in in here, and I learned this, and it was years before that. I remember I was because my goal was to be a history teacher. I was going to be super smart and read all this stuff, and I was going to be a history teacher and help people and teach them and educate them because. Through education, if you know more stuff, you'll be smarter. Your mind will be more open, and you'll and you'll succeed in life or whatever. And I kept believing that, and I started it started to unravel for me a bit when I was in the service. I was reading books uh, like the Nazi Doctors by Jay Lifton, and I was and then I was reading uh, Shelby Foote as a trilogy about the Civil War that I started to begin to read. And I got about a third of the way through the first book, and it it really hit me. One day, I remember sitting there on my ship, and it hit me. It was one of those realizations that. It, that I think a lot of people that pursue knowledge ultimately have somewhere down the line. And that was, I'm going to read until the cows come home. And I, and the more and more and more I understand mm. the, 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 right. The, the level of that I don't, the, the chasm that creates created in the understanding of where, of where it is, that I, what I really know versus what is out there becomes so overwhelming that you really understand. That's why I don't like, I don't want to ever have somebody tell me that I'm smart or I don't, you know, that I'm, in, you know, maybe, maybe intelligent or well-read, you could say that's fine. But to say that somebody's smart or to indicate that they're an expert or to indicate that any of those things around that nature, start, it became, it was overwhelming because I realized, my God, I, I could, this is, there's, and this is just on like one subject. The civil, you could spend your entire life yep. studying nothing but the U S civil war as, as Shelby foot did. And you're, you're none the wiser, <laughs> you know, uh, you know, it may be wise into the word, but you're none the more knowledgeable and then sure. the ability to take that knowledge and do something with it is a completely is, is an extra task on top of all that. Yeah. Well, you can definitely learn like the more you learn, the more you realize how much you don't know. And it sounds like you ran into that. Oh, yeah. Big time. And so so but it was a bit of a system shock. So it took a little while for that to really register over the years. It wasn't. This is this is the other thing about these kind of transitions and these evolutions in terms of your way of thinking is that when we look back at them, they become they become very easy to go back and and talk about. Well, what we don't talk about was that was probably 1997, 98, and then I had my moment of crisis where I became a Christian in 2005, 2006. Okay, well, tell so, us about that. Right. So, so you're so so for me, then it was this you know this marriage falls apart. Um, I had all these things, a great job at a great company, all these things, and it didn't do it, and it hadn't been doing it. And I can remember, and I tell the story a lot, uh, going home in my backyard, 
looking up at the Fulbright Moon, I, you know, biggest lot in the subdivision at the time, um, really nice house, you know, this stuff that's supposed to make you happy. And I'm in my backyard crying because it, it is not changing my self-doubt. It's not changing mm. all of the all of the negatives, all of the thoughts. It's not changing all of that that emptiness. The emptiness has not gone away. Now it's worse because I'm in a situation where I'm in this house and I'm over my head in terms of debt. I have a I'm married to somebody and I realize that it's not it is not a relationship I need to be in. She wasn't a bad person, but it just wasn't it it, it just became all these things, you know, that the, the veil gets lifted and it's ugly, ugly, and it's not healthy. And and you're sitting there going, what in the world? And how did I get here? And because your intentions are true. I didn't try, sure. you know, it wasn't my intention to start out that way and do the wrong thing. But, the, you know, this SUV and this car and this stuff, it just, it didn't do anything. It didn't do anything to make it happy. It made it worse. And then you start to realize you are not all that smart. You're not at all what you thought. And that's not, and then it becomes, for me, there was a switch. It wasn't even that I wasn't smart. It's just I realized the futility of trying to use that as something to even re- achieve. When it was more of the, then what are you, do, what are you really, really doing? And then there was that idea around service, and I got, I got exposed right before I got divorced to the nonprofit industry around kids that had cancer and being able to serve a little bit. And it was just a taste right before I became a Christian to to see what that felt like and to be a part of something that really was greater than yourself. I'd always been somebody who helped other people when when it was needed, but never with any kind of external structure to go out and make that happen. If a friend of mine needed something, my friends know to this day that I get calls. I get those 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 real calls. My wife wants to leave me. I'm suffering. You know, I'm suffering from financial issues. I get those calls from my buddies because they know. And I've always got those calls from the time I was young. But I'm talking about really serving others outside of that, even those that, that maybe don't even know or deserve it or even uh, that, you, that, ex- that expect you to. And I got involved in that world a little bit, and it opened my eyes to this idea that if I want to help myself, that by helping others, there was something about that. And it just created a fervor in me. And so I, I, I got met, met, met some people through that, and I got connected through a church here in so for me at the same time, and understand, for anybody out there who's ever gone through a massive transition in their life from one habit to another, especially if it's a huge 180, again, this is not an overnight thing, and it's, there's going to be a lot of discomfort. There's going to be a lot of going back and forth, right? There's going to be a lot of this that you, you have relative to that journey. It isn't just going to show up and be like, oh, well, tomorrow I'm going to be a Christian, check the box, you know, get baptized, high-five the pastor, and everything's wonderful. There, there, there was a tra- – but for that – but I also had this moment back to that humility part was that I needed to, for the first time in probably a long time was to shut up and listen. And I had a very good friend of mine, Blake Graham, who I was looking at, he'd known me since I was a kid and he was a Christian and we would have these discussions and went, especially when we were older and they were good ones. But I looked at him and said, you, you've known me my whole life. You know where I've stood. I'm there's, there's this, and it was weird. It was, it was a weird thing for me to consider being a Christian or even thinking about it. I said, what should I do? And he's the one that told me, he said, shut up and truly listen to what's being said. Because I had read some parts of the Bible before, but I, I'm a, I'm of hmm. a belief now, if you go into something with a viewpoint or a skew or an objective, you'll find it. Yep. Right. You'll, you'll find that. Oh, well, you know, here, again, here's this guy walking on water. We all know that's not possible. Blah, blah, blah. So, 
So, you know, this is made up and I'm out the door. And that was one of my big struggles, too, when I was older and I studied theology, even though during this process I was studying Buddhism. And here's, you know, here's this 13 trunk elephant that touches his mom and out, out he pops. And I'm like, OK, well, I'm not listening to that. Or, you know, uh, you know Muhammad descended into heaven right there, you know, from and just this one day. Just, I was like, OK, well, that's not possible. But I was looking at things truly from what I could touch and feel and, and technically prove because this was the world that I was comfortable in what I could touch and see. But then I had to realize that, that there was this other part, right? There's this ethereal part. There was this existential mm. part that goes beyond right here, right now, what we can touch. And, and this got into the capacity of the woo-woo stuff or however you want to yep. put it, that, that makes a lot of people, I think, uncomfortable because what's nice about science and technology and math is you can theoretically quantify cut it, measure it, and know it, and touch it, and feel it, and now I have definitive proof, which ultimately does what? It gives us a feeling of security that we can believe in something without right. being wrong. And control. And in control. Yep. I, I remember there a, a friend of mine, she was an actuary, and that was her favorite thing about math, was she knew she could be right. She knew she was going to be right. <laughs> right. And that's a that's an ego thing. Yep. Right. That, that's, a, that's a huge, and I'm not saying that any of us want to be wrong. But I'm saying there's this natural feeling of, well, I want to make sure that what I say, do and feel is the ultimate right. And then of course, you know, the idea of being right, right on top of everything else above all this, well, that's just gives me all kinds of empowerment. And, and I understand that, that proclivity to want to feel that way, but I also know there's no way in the world you could ever achieve that. And, and it's a false positive and it doesn't, you know, because one of the things I love to do now, especially I love listening to atheists. I love listening to atheists. I'll listen to atheists talk on podcasts. I'll listen. I'll read articles. I'll follow them on Twitter, these kind of things to help kind of push that envelope. And I because I understand a lot of the issues that people had around and have, still have around faith, especially the Christian faith. And that's fine. But I'll go back to the service part. And my issue is always this. You and I, we can argue about the existence of God all day long. We can go back and count, count counterpoint or whatever. But not, whether nothing that we do, nothing that we do or say is really going to change the ultimate answer to that question. And then at the same time, there's suffering going on in the world, and there's opportunities for us to work together instead of argue. And I am, especially at this point in my life, much more interested in well, how can you and I solve this problem? How can you and I work together to be a counterforce to these other forces going on in the world? And if you want to think of them as just, you know the way things are and I want to look at them in a different capacity, that's fine with me because I'm on my own journey trying to figure out my own faith, trying to figure out my own place in this world and trying to live out and be the best Christian that I can be. That sounds goofy, but I'm trying to embody what the words in red tell me to be on a daily basis. That is my goal. Yeah. And and I, and I can't find a lot of it that tells me what I need to do is go tell everybody what's wrong with how they're doing it. I need to be, I mean, Jesus never did that. You can help me help correct me if I'm wrong, but he just, and that was when I, so when I came to Christ and, and started really reading it, Ecclesiastes was a book that got me to really realize that this was a book worth reading. And mm. there, was, there was truth in there. That's interesting. Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes plays to the dilemma, right? Meaningless. And there's, yeah. you know, Solomon who's given credit as, as, as the guy who wrote that. He, he had all this stuff and it wasn't, it didn't help him without God. It, it meant nothing unless God was part of it. Right. Yeah. So, Absolutely. Well, I find that really interesting, given your bent before Christ and then finding Ecclesiastes as a place where you could kind of 
you know, find wisdom within scripture that, that maybe was different than what you would find in science or, or history or whatever, but it was, no, very, it was a place you could latch onto, right? Right. Because, because it spoke, because everybody says, well, the Bible's not real. I'm like, well, read that book and tell me what he's saying isn't real. Right. Right. Yeah. I'm not asking you, to, I'm not asking you to believe in God. I'm not asking you to believe in, I'm saying, if you read Ecclesiastes strictly for what's written, tell me what's in there that you can't even take as just a reference, as a general reference and say, here's a guy who ultimately is saying that you can accomplish and get all this stuff, all this materialistic accomplishment in your life, and it's going to leave you hollow. How many people that are Christian or not come to that conclusion? Is there truth in that? Yeah, okay. So so you had this experience, literally, and then you read it in Scripture and went, oh, maybe there's more here. Exactly. Because, because what happens is a lot of time, and I did this for a long time, you just have this dismissive attitude that the gospel is a bunch of made up stories that are either anti-Semitic or anti this, or they, it's going to tell you to hate gay people. It's going to tell you to hate people that aren't like you. And it's, it's all this, it's all this non except it's all these things that are just counter or, or evil even, or just a narrow way of thinking, or, Hey, don't have sex because sex is bad. Yeah. These kind of things, these these myths, and they become myths, and they and they perpetuate. So and so, without actually reading it, it permeates throughout, and then you double down on the idea that there are people out there who unfortunately don't live out the gospel very well, and show. And so then you, so that it becomes a very easy thing to dismiss. But until you get in there and actually read it, and then and then look at it with what is it actually saying? Stop trying to prove it as it's as if it's an encyclopedia, which I always think is ironic. In a way, Eric, because how many times does science come across and say, oh, hey, that thing we thought before, we yeah. had to change it and revise it. We, we thought this and now it's different. I can remember going to the Houston Museum of Natural Science as a kid and seeing the Tyrannosaurus Rex walking straight up like, like a person. And now we know because we've evolved our way of thinking and our way of understanding what it does that it could have never walked that way. But we went with the best we, we knew at the time. Right. And so, yeah. and, I, and I'm sure there's somebody out there who's listening going, well, dinosaurs aren't in the Bible either. Well, okay. <laughs> I, I don't know what happened in the time of creation before that or what he meant. Yeah. By, so, in terms of trying to line all this stuff up and make it purely, you know, one to one, it becomes a very, I think it becomes very, somewhat of a semantic kind of thing to sit there and kind of say, well, why isn't this exact thing in there? Or why is it this exact thing in there? And this needs to line up exactly like it has to in history or else. I will never believe a single word that it says. Right. Yeah. Again, you know, you, you can find whatever inconsistency you want. I don't remember if we've talked about this before or not, but for me, I've really come to a place like I, I obviously I'm a Christian. I have a degree in biblical studies. I regard the scriptures very highly. Um, and yet I think that some of the ways that we've been taught to think about them, we're asking scripture to do a little too much and we're approaching yeah. it from, um, sometimes from a scientific standpoint where when you look at some of the things where you tear apart a passage and things like that, that it's just not meant to do. It's not meant to be like that. The, you know, if you're reading Ephesians, for instance, it's a letter. So read it like a letter and read it, you know, in a way that, that, uh, you know, can kind of speak to your heart and listen for who God is. That's kind of how, where, kind of where I've come to all that. But anyway, yeah. I think no, it's fascinating. No, well, no but I, I think that's it. I think that's it, Eric. I mean, if you're going to try to use the Bible as literally the rule of law and it becomes the sole source of all things and all things that are possible and it becomes the ultimate reference book and everything else can just be thrown away, 
I think you're to your sense, and this may be blasphemy. If it is, then allow me the moment, and and I'll <laughs> hopefully be able to reconcile that. But the idea that if it's not in the Bible, it's not of God, or or it has to be 100% used as this as this blazing sword of righteousness to go forth and just cut a swath into the world of quote unquote truth. I, I agree with you. Yeah. I do. I. It's just. And I think, and if I can say this, and this isn't in scripture, but I, if you had absolute truth in every way and you knew every answer to every question and every standpoint, I used to think when I was before as a Christian, I kept thinking, well, God, if you're real, why don't you come over the internal PA system of people and just tell us all the deal and give us all the, the, the lowdown that we can all agree that this is the thing, we can all get on with it and we can live lives and go on. What I never understood or appreciated, I think, is that choice that God gives us, the uh, the ability for us to be ourselves and have that opportunity to to live in, I mean, love will not exist unless you have the choice not to. It can't be forced. You can't create robots. And it's a, there's a mechanical robotic aspect to that linear mindset. And I just, that I, there's a lack of true existence in humanity that we see as the beautiful part of life that would be completely taken away if that, if it was just, Get yeah. up tomorrow, do these five things at these five times, call it a day, get up the next day and do it. There's a lack of, I don't know if creativity or whatever, and I don't, I don't know if that makes any sense, but it would become so methodical and robotic that there would be no life, like life life that I see. And I see God wanting us to live and wanting us to go out there and engage and serve and be a part of this world and go forth and lo- love people and, and be a force of good into this world. Yeah, and go and go out there and and, and be the other side to work because there's stuff coming, right? Yeah, there's you suffering know, coming. There's there's difficult things are coming. I, I mean, what are you what are you gonna do about it? I've more and more come to the conclusion that I don't buy some of the ways that people talk about humanity, um, in the sense that we talk about oh we're we're so bad and we don't we screw everything up and all and we have to reckon with sin. There's no doubt about that, but. I just think that actually God made us to rule and reign on the earth and to do things. And so we should go do those things. And that's, right. that's actually the, the, the better place to, to kind of think about humanity. I've got a whole line of thought on that, but we don't have time for it. But um, <laughs> so, well, so, so one last thing on that now, because I want to agree with you. That right. is, so, so that suffering and everything happens, you still have to ask yourself, what are we going to do about it? Using it as a reason to argue about whether or not God exists doesn't change the suffering. It doesn't right. change the fact that there's a need out there. It doesn't change that. So we're, we're getting caught up in these details that I don't let That's for me to reflect and you to reflect on our own and for us to go on our own journey. Let's, let's get beyond that and get out there and, and, and you say rule and sin. And that gets everybody all church laid up from Saturday night live. <laughs> I guess people can, you know what I mean? People get yeah. all and it, and it gets them away from it. I'm like, I, I look back at Harvey and I'll say this real quick. Cause I could talk about it for a long time. Hurricane Harvey that came through Houston back in August was a perfect example in the end, you had this one of the, the great, the worst, most decimating. It's hard to even quantify what came through the Texas Gulf Coast region and decimated this area. And what what happened? What did you do? What the answer wasn't to sit around and yell at God or yell at other people or start cussing at the city or somebody else or the weatherman. The deal was get out, get out there and help and be part of this. And and what you saw was humanity reacting. Back in, in terms of like ruling over, like we can create dams and the rest of stuff, and Mother Nature keeps us humble, uh, in a sense. So you know, God does that and shows us kind of what's really the deal. 
but it gives us the opportunity to, to really come back and, and do that. And what's going to make it, what's going to truly conquer all that is love and service and those yeah, kinds of things. Absolutely. I, I, I love that. Okay. Well, so I want, there's so much more to your story. I'm sure I take us, You've, you've mentioned this a little bit about how kind of how you're put together and why you ask these questions and why you're so open to other people. What I'm wondering is like how, so how did that, how did you come to podcasting and how did you, like, how did you settle on? I want this to be a big table where I, everybody can sit. Sure. Well, I, well, I think there's, so there's a whole lot of when you start looking at that phrase, come to the table and start talking about what it means to come to the table. There's so much. And it's really become kind of a little bit of a punchline. My, my, my pastor and friend, Doug Robinson, who comes, he comes on the podcast every once in a while and does a reflection episode where him and I will talk about some of the episodes that we've done because he was kind of a little bit of my friend to help me through this process to do this. And you see, when he, he'll preach and I can see him start to smile because it keeps and we, it becomes almost that buzzword where all of a sudden you start to see that what we're ultimately called to do is come to this table and literally break bread together. You could look at communion that way. I did a thing for Easter where he talked about the podcast to the whole congregation, That's using cool. that as a reference point because it really is what you're asking people to do. But it's, it's, it's a little bit symbolic of what I just kind of mentioned, which is if you bring people in. Okay, and that's what Jesus did, and, and you feed him. There's something even around that. Something as odd as sitting around a table and having a conversation or a cup of coffee or that connection, that is where the magic happens. If I've never sat down with you and had a conversation, and I just think I know about you from what I see on the outside, that very rarely is the true picture. And it very rarely is does you a service as to who you are ultimately. And so, so I saw these people, and I saw people, especially on Facebook and social media, and even in casual conversations, that would say things in such a way that I almost felt would misrepresent who they really are and how I knew them. It's very easy to be a keyboard warrior. It's very easy to be flippant about a response and about a situation when you haven't really understood that other side. I saw this years ago, especially getting involved with pediatric cancer and suffering on that level. And I don't mean to qualify suffering, and I'm not a big fan of that, to say whose is worse than the other. But I will say that you know, have, getting stuck in traffic has a different level of suffering than it is losing your child to cancer or to some other disease. Oh, yeah. And so, and so just the ability to understand those things. It's, it's this weird dichotomy that I can't you – know, it's this weird thing where if I haven't really gone through it, I can't totally understand it. And even if I've been through the same thing you have, we have our own versions of that. And we have our own, and there's no real winner around suffering. You don't get more points or you don't get some sort of hierarchy. And I've never understood that where if you've suffered, like you and I are supposed to have the sort of, some sort of contest as who can come up with the worst story from our childhood or some other experience. And then I don't know what the winner gets. But, but to all that, to allow credence and credit and allow you to have that and, and, and not dismiss whatever it is that you did suffer. And just say something like, uh, you, somebody else has it worse. I just had lunch yesterday with a friend of mine who coincidentally was, he was his son was the first uh, patient I got to know around that world. He lost his son when he was 10. Uh, his son had, it was a blood disorder. He got, he got treated at Texas Children's Cancer Center and Hematology Center here in Houston, which is the largest in the world. And he, lo- he was a five-year battle. He watched his son at five years old fight this disease for five years. 
this is 10 years ago this August that he lost his son and he's still, he's, he had post-traumatic stress. He's been retired. He struggles to this day. It hasn't changed for him. Wow. And so when you, when you, and he kept talking about PTS and what it's like to have that. And there some of the worst things you can say to people are things like, well, you know, you just got to get over it or, or, or God can only get, God's going to only give you what you can handle or any of these flippant kind of dismissive responses that other people have it worse. Yeah, there's always that. But that is, I'm sorry, but that, that phrase never helps anyone. Yeah. It doesn't help anyone. Well, it doesn't it honor does. their suffering and doesn't honor where they are. And right. it doesn't, it doesn't treat people with any kind of compassion. And I think that's, that's what you do so beautifully in, in your show is you, whether you agree with people or not, you, you take, bring them in and you say, okay, tell me about this, you know? And well, well, I, uh, you pre- I appreciate that, but it starts, it start. That's what Jesus did. Yeah. Jesus met people where they were. He met people where they were. And I remember coming into, cause when you, I started coming into faith, like there, there's, there's a bit of a litmus test. Like I'm like, okay, Ecclesiastes got it. I'm, I'm, I'm in the door a little bit, but let me hear what this guy has to say. And what are the stories really saying? And you go back and read what Jesus is saying. And one of my favorites, and I, and I think I'm going to it's in John. And you may remember exactly the verse better than I do. And that's when Peter comes up to Jesus and says, hey, there's some guys down the road and they're exercising uh, demons in your name and proselytizing your name. But we need to go down there and tell them what they're doing wrong. And of all the people in the history of the Christian faith or just in that in that realm, if anybody had the authority to go down and question what somebody's doing, I would imagine it would be Jesus. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. And what does he do? He says, don't do that. I'm not going to go down there and do that. If they're not if they're not against us, they're for us. Let them be. And for me, that was one of those seminal moments as I started into the into deciding. I'm like, OK, I can get behind that. On a personal level, that's a humility level that goes beyond the norm. I don't know many people, even the even the most gracious people I've ever known. That's a that's a level above that, right? Mm-hmm. That, that's a whole other level of grace to say that everyone is forgiven no matter what they did, to have that level to turn the other cheek no matter what, seven times seventy and all that. For Jesus to say these things and say and to meet people right where they are and love them for who they are right at that moment. And not and not come up with an excuse or not expect them to do that. The guy came into this world, if you based on the story, he was born in a manger in a trough, I mean literally in a feeding trough in a stable two thousand years ago. That's there's nothing elegant or exciting, or you know, you're not gonna get a lot of Facebook likes if that's how you came into this world. You know what I mean? You're not gonna get a lot of Instagram followers if that's your that's your beginning, <laughs> right? right? Yeah. Of all, I mean, it would have been, it would have made better sense if you're trying to sell this story as some sort of way to be. You're going to pick a whole lot different if you're if you're doing this purely for manipulation or to come out and create this story that everyone wants to buy into. You're going to create a story that's a heck of a lot more superficial. As and as that's how I looked at it. You're going to create. You're going to make the guy into Tom Brady. That's who you. I mean, that's who. That's who everyone wants to be like. Or Michael Jordan. Right. You want to hero worship people. There's. He didn't come across as that. He didn't have a successful business or created an empire. The guy didn't own a thing. So, so that that made me. If he's doing that, then how in the world can I, as a Christian, hmm. see see Jesus doing that? And then my response to that is, well, then I need to go build myself an empire, and I need to make the world about myself, and then say that I and, and Jesus is here for me. 
I need to go out and I need to go be Jesus to the world. And if he's setting that standard, the least I can do is sit down and listen to what you have to say. I mean, how, how, how can I dismiss you? And even if it's your natural pro- provocation, and I understand, you know, I, uh, you, we talked about it before. My stepbrother came on and my stepbrother is, is gay. Yeah. And we had two episodes. And, and look, I, I, I'm a guy. I heard her say, we talked about this in the episode. I, I don't understand it. I don't. I don't. I, but I've never had to. I never had to choose to be heterosexual. The act, all of those things. I get those things. Yeah. Or why that's not in my nature. Right? I'm, I mean, yeah. I'm so glad you brought that up because that um, was those two episodes. First of all, I think you're really always very creative with your titles because you called that episode "Let the Meat Cake," which you know the out here in Colorado we have that baker who <laughs> is going to the Supreme Court with his case, but. Um, so I thought that was pretty funny, but the whole thing of uh, the, the whole conversation with him was like you, I mean, you just asked him questions like what, you know, tell, tell me about that. Tell me, how did you figure this out? You know, and right. for most of us being, you know, white heterosexual guys, we've never thought of that, right? We've never thought about that experience or what was this like in, you know, uh, high school or whenever you started to right. kind of notice that. And it really made me feel a lot of empathy um, for for him and for especially the way the church has treated the gay community. Um, and, you know, I, I have to wrestle a little bit because I, I think, well, part, part of it is I we've got to separate our politics from our from our religion, I think, um, I because the the politics have kind of tangled that up a lot to, to make it make us enemies when really we just need to love each other and we need, we need to care for them. And so anyway, you're, I think that your that those two episodes, I listened to them just with rapt attention because I thought you did a, such a good job of making me feel empathy uh, for a group of people that normally uh, evangelicals would feel uh, something else right. for, feel, feel more. Well, well, so, so a couple of things that I really appreciate that. And that, and that's what we ultimately try to do. I mean, I, I'm not here to talk about me our, our hope around the podcast is that you, it'll create a reaction out of you. It'll create an opportunity for you to have a conversation either with somebody that you know and just say, hey, I, I'm, th- I'm wrestling with this. And, and you said it perfectly. You're, you're wrestling with it. I'm not trying to tell you anything definitively to do either way. But to right. wrestle with it and let you come to your own conclusion, I think that's where you're going to ultimately find the most fruit. Because then you're going to have – then you're going to understand why you feel that way. Right. Right? And I don't want to dismiss and say that you shouldn't feel something or that you should – be all, all all okay with it. Go through that, but understand that, that there's another side of the story, and that and that, and I do that, and I, I'm glad you caught that. You know, the, it's a bit of an homage to the wedding cake, but it's also part to Marie Antoinette and her, her sure, yeah. around let them eat cake because it was it was kind of a flippant thing that she said, whether or not she actually said it. Right. It was just, it was just her inability to recognize that the French people were starving to death, and you have all this extra stuff, and you're like, well, just go. Yeah. It's almost like. Well, go down and order a cake and just eat bread. Why aren't they eating bread? Because they don't have any, Marie. Because, yeah, you know, that, it was just, so that was a little bit of trying to get people to think that way. And it, I do do that purposely in the title, yeah. It's multi-layered and I love it. I thought, I was just yeah. like, oh, that's so great. So you, you do really <laughs> good at that. Good. Um, I'm glad somebody caught that. I'm, I'm glad you caught that. And then, and then to his episode, I mean, one of the things he talked about, there was, there was, there were so many aspects that he challenged you know, me around even as much as, and I've known him for 16 years. And we had never had that conversation, really. Uh, you know, I'd never. I, I just I don't want to say I don't care, but I really I really don't. It doesn't. 
it doesn't, it's not my job to figure that out. And one of the things he said that that really stuck out, and, I, and people are like, oh my God, how can you say that the Bible talks about homosexuality? I'm like, okay, to his point, it talks about, it very rarely spells it out by itself. It is one of the things that it puts in there yeah, along with sure. greed, idolatry, sexual immorality is typically looked at as a, as a, as across the board. Yeah. It didn't just say homosexuality. It's talking about all of it. Well, and we, I, right. Yeah, absolutely. But I also think that, uh, if we just, if we define people by their, what we think are their sins, you know, we're, we're not being very charitable <laughs> and not you know, all. We, we all need Jesus. The reality is we all need Jesus. And, uh, you know, if we, if we, treat each other like they don't people to other people don't deserve Jesus because of a, a sin. Like, well, how can we do that? We, I just right. don't think we can with any kind and, of integrity. Talk, right. And he talked about that specifically. Which I thought was a beautiful point yeah. is if you cherry pick, which ones you don't like, it's really easy to get to, to not like a sin that you don't have to worry about ever having in your life. Yeah, it is. It, absolutely. I'm never going to suffer from that. I actually think I call this the, um, the great switch. Um, let me go find it. Well, I'll, I'll look it up later, but I wrote a blog post about this a couple years ago. That was like, I, they kind of, they kind of duped us, right. You know, when, when evangelicals got into politics or started to become a force in the seventies, it was about abortion. It was about, right. you know, just, you know, and then sometime in the nineties, it switched from that over to the opposing homosexuality and gay marriage and that then, you know, and all of a sudden it's like, wait, this is, you know, maybe we shouldn't be putting so much time and effort into that. And we spent millions and millions of dollars, all kinds of effort. We passed marriage laws in 30 states. Do you know that's enough? In California twice. Do you know that's enough to put an amendment to the Constitution? <laughs> Isn't that crazy? Like, that's insane. We spent that much time, that much money, all wiped away with one Supreme Court decision. That was stupid. And that was actually part of my story. I don't know if I told you the story before, but... I I read a book by Oz Guinness called A Free People's Suicide, and he said, listen, the only reason that people can, um, or the only reason that freedom stays the way that it is, is if is if the, all the hearts of the people, the character of the people are good. And I realized we just wasted a whole bunch of time and effort and money on changing laws instead of changing people's hearts. And so that's why today I do what I do instead of a political blog that I started eons ago. But um, anyway, uh, Sean, I think we could probably talk about this all day, and I really, I really want to because I feel like I didn't get to everything in your story. I know there's a lot more in there that I would love to hear, um, and I know also that you and I are going to be uh, hanging out. I hope more and yeah. uh, and talking. So, um, well, I'll just, I'll just say it's, it's very comforting that there's other people like yourself out there, and Phil, and the other guys that we know, and the people yeah. in your in, the, in your group, and then our little association on Facebook. I think are trying to have these conversations and trying to, to be, I, I don't want to say, I don't want to turn into a right or wrong thing. I just think we, we are trying to do, we're trying to create a different message yep. and trying to interact with people that are, and show them that there's a, that it isn't all what they expect either around Christian, the Christian faith. I think so. All guys, time. guys, if you haven't listened to that, um, Sean referenced Phil and it's Phil Gothier. He was, <laughs> on uh, halfway there in back in January of 2018. He was episode number 76. So if you want to hear his story, you can connect with him there as well or go to halfwaytherepodcast.com and you can find the archives. Um, 
I will also have links in this these show notes to Sean's podcast, Come to the Table, and uh, you'll be able to find all of that as per usual. And if you're not on the mailing <laughs> list, go ahead and sign up for that so I can let you know when we have brand new episodes as well. Sean, yeah. I'm so glad to make the connection and uh, hear your story. It, it's uh, it's fun, and we're going to have to go deeper uh, in, in, uh, in our in your story a little bit later maybe sometime sure uh, i really appreciate the time it, it's always the same thing i end up with the same issue where <laughs> you feel like you just get going and you're like oh my yeah. gosh there's so much more and it's very humbling that you say that i appreciate it appreciate the time you like as i said you're, you're coming on my podcast here probably about four or five weeks your episode will drop that you came on very gracious of you to do that and, and i think it was a great episode so I would tell your listeners if, if you want to listen to if you want to listen to mine just to hear him, totally fine with it. <laughs> and uh, you know, and the same, I do want to say one last thing relative to what we talked about before. One of the things I also don't do because I don't want anybody else out there thinking that you have to give up what you believe. I, I don't make any apologies and don't ask people to do that. And I will not apologize for my faith on my podcast. But I also don't ask people to apologize for theirs. And and so I, yeah. I'm not I'm not ashamed of it. I don't I don't hide it. But it's not. It doesn't become this hammer of righteousness for me. Yeah. Well, and uh, if if that works, then expect that. But if you don't expect arguments, or I'm not a, I'm not an apologist. I don't do all that. Uh, that's, there's other people that can do cool. that quite a whole lot better than I can. And you know, I like I like your format and mine. And we would go with it. Yeah, I think that's um, really indicative of kind of who you are and how you're. The conversation you're trying to create, that's the thing I always talk about with the podcasters. What conversation are you trying to create? And uh, you're creating a good one over there. So, Thank you. I appreciate it, brother. Thank you so much. 